passionate about broadcast media? Become a part of Broadcast Plaza, the number one broadcast media server on Discord, to discuss all about it with fellow community members and industry professionals, including your humble narrator. Broadcast Plaza, this is the place. Join today by going to the link in this episode's description or by logging on to discord.gg forward slash broadcast plaza. This is a Zagland original podcast. Today on the Zachary and Peaches show. Our three for Halloween wraps up this week as we head up to Halloween Town with special guest Madison Rousseau. We'll be talking about The Nightmare Before Christmas and its legacy as the perennial Halloween animated classic celebrates its 30th anniversary. And a Halloween cult classic also celebrates its 30th anniversary. We'll take a look at Hocus Pocus. Plus, a Food Network spooky seasonal staple returns for another season of Ghoulish Bakes. All coming up this week, October 24th, 2023. Connecting from Orlando and Baltimore, it's all about animation, autism, and everything else. This is the Zachary and Peaches Show with Adrian Mata and Emma Settles. Welcome to the Zachary and Peaches Show, folks. I'm Adrian Mata. I'm Emma Settles. And joining us this week is a special guest, Madison Rousseau. Welcome to the podcast, Maddie. Um, Hello, my dear fiends. I'm Madison Rousseau, and I'm also an autistic artist, just like Adrian and Emma, respectively. And of course, and of course, I'm a goth girl, a witch, and a professional weirdo. <laughs> hey, uh, the right, the right candidate to have for our uh, spe- extra special spooky finale to uh, our three for Halloween. Um. A discussion series. It's so funny three. that you even mention it being um, three for Halloween because we're actually going to be talking about three things that had to do with Halloween in this episode, respectively. True. So in that case, I guess it, if you can, okay, if you really break it down, then I guess the series could be six for Halloween in that case. Then, but you know, <laughs> apparently, sounds, it has a better ring to it. <laughs> The the only reason I named it uh, three for Halloween is because uh, the main main topics of discussion are all about Halloween movies there. But uh, but uh, I guess this I guess this applies to um, this entire episode actually that we are going to get into here. So um, anyway, um, as um, usually uh, we, usually um, I go to Emma first uh, and ask her what how how she's been doing, but um, or how they're doing actually. But uh, but Maddie, I'm going to go ahead and start with you. How how has your life been so far? Oh, I'm just fine. Well, well, right now I'm actually been been very busy right now in terms of um a lot of stuff that I'm gonna be doing for Halloween. Well, well, right now I'm actually gonna be planning on watching a lot of um Halloween movies and shows and episodes from my one one of my favorite shows as well. Well, actually, I actually believe last week I just watched Coraline, and then. I believe starting tonight, I'll be watching um, some episodes of the Beetlejuice cartoon, 
And, and of course, eventually I'm going to be watching Beale, just the movie itself. Um, of course, Tim Burton's The Night of Christmas, which we'll get into. Hocus Pocus, which we're also going to get into. Um, the Adams Family movie, movie from 1991. And of course, Tim Burton's The Corpse Bride soon after. And um, I don't know, like I said before, I don't know what we're going to be doing for Halloween this year. But I'm planning on watching uh, Mad Monster Party. And it's a great pumpkin Charlie Brown, both of which I think they'll be good for separate episodes eventually, maybe for next Halloween or something like that. Yeah, that might be a possibility there, Emma. I think that might be a good idea. Oh, yeah. I mean, especially since um, I've got a friend who's really big into peanuts. And uh, even if, you know, he can't be a specifically a, uh, a, a guest on the podcast, at the very least, I can gather uh, behind the scenes info about the short from him so i can become extra i can uh, come extra prepared for a great pumpkin episode so i think that would be that would be a rather fun topic possibly for next year but again we're getting ahead of ourselves. let's not think about season what four i guess (laughs) season number 156 (laughs) (laughs) oh dear But yeah, I'm glad you're doing well, Maddie. I hope you're able to form more concrete Halloween plans soon. But at the very least, I'm glad you've been enjoying a bunch of movies and shows and things. Oh, absolutely. And also, um, this year, I'm actually going as um, Little Red Riding Hood. Um, Actually, in the traditional sense. I mean, I'm actually, I don't know... I'm actually, I don't know if I should be like a werewolf Little Red Riding Hood or maybe go to the traditional sense as a human because because originally Little Red Riding Hood herself is actually um, a human in the story. But I know, since I know you, Emma, since you're into werewolves and everything, and have you ever heard of Little Red Riding Hood? I'm pretty sure you and Adrian do. Oh yeah, of course. I mean, I've done a lot of concept work for just the classic fairy tale and stuff and of course grew up hearing it and reading uh reading storybooks and stuff with either that direct story or stories based on the little red riding Hood tale so oh, i do too being said, i really love the new the very nuanced take that she's a werewolf i think that's just really fascinating i mean again i'm just you know i love werewolves in general so, but yes. same token, I think it's, that's just, I think it's a fascinating take on, on a classic tale. And if you know me, I, I like different takes on, uh, on classic stories. So I think that, uh, that's something that, that fits right up my alley. I need to probably fit something in like that in my own Halloween schedule in the future. Yeah, it's fine. Cue some other toes. I mean, however, I think I'm going to be planning on doing the traditional sense of literal writing hood, which is still fine either way. I mean, either way, it actually it's pretty good. Yeah, agree. It's a fun costume either way. On that now, note... Oh, sorry. Sorry to interrupt. Um, I mean, you go ahead. No, what were you going to say? What were you going to say, Maddie? I was going to ask Emma, I mean, I was asking Emma, how's her life been? How's your life doing, Emma? Oh, well, great. Thank you. I think Adrian was also going to ask the ask the same of me. But yeah, things have been interesting. Um, again, just been keeping myself busy doing a lot of uh, additional artwork and prep for the craft fair that I'm going to be a part of in a couple of months from now. Um... 
today was a pretty busy day. I was running around with mom, doing a lot of errands, grocery shopping, and a little bit of Christmas shopping, and with, um, before one of my mom's, uh, my mom's nurse, actually. My mom gets IV treatments every, uh, every month, and we wanted to do something for her nurse, uh, who comes to our house and, and does that with her. So that being said, uh, we wanted to get a, l a little something for her out of the way, um, especially since we were in the, in the area where we wanted to pick it up anyhow. So there was that, and then grocery shopping and stuff around the house, and took my dog out to Petco. And uh, But the very, the fascinating thing, though, is that I technically was commissioned by Petco, the our, our, our local Petco. Um, to basically paint the windows of the grooming um, area with winter and Christmas imagery with animals, of course. And that was all because I, you know, I, I, one of the reasons why we also stopped off is we, we wanted to give Muffin, uh, my dog's trainer and groomer, some Halloween presents because they're both massive Halloween people like like my mom and I are and I did drawings for each of them and they went the second you know they that they saw this and and brought it to the attention of one of the basically that the top groomer in uh at Petco they're like can I commission you to paint our windows for Christmas and I'm like sure <laughs> that being said I've got that to look forward to as well um, once, uh, once the holidays roll around. So, yeah, that being said, I've just been keeping busy. Um, and, you know, all this Christmas talk aside, <laughs> um, I'm, I'm looking forward to Halloween. Again, I'm not entirely certain what I'm going to be doing. Hopefully, uh, my best friend will be coming up from Pennsylvania. Um, he's still yet to get his train ticket due to some just random stuff going on in his life. So hopefully he'll be able to get that ticket soon. And then once we get that, then we can start planning on what local uh, haunted attractions or we semi-local haunted attractions we want to try to hit before the season is over. Um, but yeah, that being said, even though it's still kind of up in the air at the same token, I'm holding on hope that it'll be a pretty, pretty fun Halloween. Me too. That'll be fun. And funny enough, my mom is also a nurse. And and actually, I think she's, I believe, a um, psychiatric nurse, I think, or psychological nurse. And I know she obviously helps me throughout, some, throughout my life, especially since I'm autistic. And of course, I'm a huge Halloween lover, huge Halloween person, just like you, Emma. So, of course, I know for a fact that we're nothing but the best of friends, as you can clearly tell. <laughs> Absolutely. We are we are pretty much cut from the same cloth. But yeah, I mean Yeah. Thankfully yeah, we have <laughs> Yeah, we have a line. It's, it's interesting having a, it's interesting having a tw uh, basically a twin. <laughs> yeah. Here on, on our show. Oh yeah, absolutely. I, yeah. And sorry for interrupting by the way. I mean, but no both you and Nate, both you and Adrian, of course. I mean, that being said, 3 is a crowd, so it's it's kind of with three people in one room, especially with, you know, with a, po a podcast setting such as this, it's kind of hard to know when one person is about to talk, especially since, you know, we're just doing this over voice. So believe me, I totally get it. Well, to be honest, I actually, I actually, 
when I was in school, especially when I was in high school, um, I know we used to do speech therapy where we have our do practice our conversation skills and taking turns from one another. So I'm doing my best to actually trying to um, do those in a conversation as well, as you can clearly tell. I have no idea where to actually take this. Um, <laughs> Sometimes um, we, just, we just go off in random directions. Uh, okay. Uh, well, anyway, um, what's been, you know, um, usually I would be at, usually you would ask me um, how, oh. how how my life's going, but. Um, oh, yeah. yeah sorry. I'll, I'll, I'll ask. I mean, oh, no. Sorry to interrupt again. But Emma, do you want to ask him or do I want to ask him? No, I'll go. I'll go ahead. I'll go ahead and like, just. Uh, I'll go. go. I'll ask you. I'll, I'll ask you if you don't mind. Sorry for interrupting yet again. Um, how's your life doing, Adrian? Uh, it's been going. Uh, been going well. Well, actually, uh, well, in the past week, it's been kind of uh, almost uh, a little bit chill, actually. Um, barring a, few, a couple incidents that uh, I won't get into. A very minor incidents, though. But uh, but um, but yeah, it's just been kind of a chill week. Uh, uh doing. Um, of course, we had another uh, corporate buyout event at Islands of Adventure. Uh, of course, I do work in Universal Orlando for those of you um, just uh, tuning in for the first time. But um, um, but other than that, um, been been working, uh, been working, been working around Marvel Superhero Island uh, within the uh, food and beverage department over there. Anyway, so um, there is that. Um, with regards to uh, your the, with regards to Universal Orlando itself, uh, this is the last time I will be seeing it this season. Universal Studios Halloween Horror Nights is still going on until until November fourth. So um, tickets and other details are available uh, through Universal Orlando. Shoot, <laughs> tickets and uh, tickets and other in info are available through UniversalOrlando.com. That's UniversalOrlando.com. Never go alone. Bring your Scream Squad along with you and. Uh, just enjoy the uh, scare zones and scare houses and all the uh, different kinds of uh, different kinds of food and drinks uh, that uh, you won't find uh, anywhere else. So uh, Universal Universal Studios, Universal Orlando rather, uh, Universal Orlando's Halloween Horror Nights uh, now through November fourth. UniversalOrlando.com for all the tickets and details. And uh, that's really about it. Uh, by the way, I will be um, uh, I will be uh, heading up uh, back up to uh, Universal Orlando as a guest. Uh, Next Sunday, um, uh, number one, uh, we will be on a week-long break here. Number two, um, I'm actually going to go see uh, this musical, this acoustic musical duo perform at Jimmy Buffett's uh, Margaritaville location at CityWalk. Uh, the, um, the duo is called Gilly and the Girl, and they consist of Mike and Charity Gill, a married couple who uh, first met at, guess what, uh, Universal Studios Japan, another uh, Universal uh, NBC Universal slash Comcast own theme park and so um and so i'm going to be looking and so i'm looking forward to doing that and also eating a cheeseburger in paradise uh, uh jimmy buffett uh who um uh sadly passed away um earlier this year and um yeah looking forward to it i'll be fun i actually have heard about universal's halloween horror nights in both um the hollywood location and the orlando location and actually learning about the history of it along with um not scary farm and and a lot of other fun halloween events especially disneyland and of course i've always loved haunted houses but the thing is though i'm actually afraid of the animatronics going off surprisingly i'm not really scared of the scare actors whatsoever let alone Mostly just the animatronics. And also, I don't know if I if you actually have this idea, but I had this idea I had in mind. Um, 
Um, do you know how Disney um, does their Halloween event, especially Disneyland and Not Scary Farm has Not Spooky Farm, which is a family-friendly Halloween event as well? I think maybe they should do they should do the exact same thing for Universal Studios for Halloween Horror Nights, like having daytime family-friendly Halloween events in both in Hollywood and Orlando, respectively. How does that sound? Uh, funny enough, uh, SeaWorld Orlando, uh, which I used to uh, work, uh, which I used to be employed with, um, they actually do something like that. They, uh, the daytime Halloween festivities are known as the SeaWorld uh, uh, as a spooktacular, uh, Halloween spooktacular. And uh, and of course, um, uh, in the past few years, they have uh, done uh, Hallow Screen over there at SeaWorld. Uh, of course, there's been a long running event over at Busch Gardens Tampa Bay. So, uh, so uh, yeah, so uh, so that's that's something that SeaWorld's been doing for a little while. As for Universal, uh, they could probably do something like that, but uh, but given you know, given how popular Halloween Horror Nights is, and you know, I'm not sure if they want to extend the Halloween festivities to the day do to daytime, but maybe they could bring in, like, a few Halloween specials here and there. Yeah, like, something like that, absolutely. And speaking of Halloween events, I think we need to talk about the main discussion, the main, the big event. Shall we? Well, we will, we will get, we will get to that in a, in a couple moments here. I do have some housekeeping notes here. Before we get to that, Emma, is there anything else you'd like to add? Not in particular. Let's, uh, let's, let's, let's keep the program going. All right, so I have, uh, this is a first here. I have five housekeeping notes this week here. Uh, the first one here, uh, I said last week, um, our Art Parkinson, who is the voice of Kubo, uh, now owns and operates a coffee shop in Derry in the UK. I I had assumed Derry was in England. I'm sorry to say, uh, say that I made a mistake and fouled up. It is actually in Ireland, so my apologies to the people of Northern Ireland for getting, that, getting the location of Derry Wong. Uh, in fact, there's been a bit of a dispute. There has been uh, a bit of a years-long dispute over the name of the town of Derry. Um, um, there, some some people want to call it Londonderry. Others just want to keep it simple and and keep it Derry. So um, there is that. D e double r y d e r r y is the name of that place. Uh, second of all. Jared Harris is our announcer for the program, and I make no secret of. Um, uh, of uh, how I was able to get him on to uh, how to get him, how I was able to get him on board to do the Zachary and Peter show as an announcer, and it was because uh, we had first crossed paths uh, through what is now known as Broadcast Plaza. In the convenient course of the um, eight to nine months that I have been a part of that uh, Discord server, it has become the number one uh, server dedicated to. Um, broadcast media in general and so i'm proud to say that uh on top of uh, not only myself being a part of the, uh, the world telegram news as a creative director um uh myself this podcast and of course the zachlin brand that i've been building trying to trying trying to build up anyway um is now a uh, a server partner of broadcast plaza and there will be a link uh in the episode description from here on out for all for this in this episode's description and on all future episodes, uh, there will be a link to to uh, join the server in the description there. And uh, of course, uh, uh, you'll be hearing a little bit about Broadcast Plaza throughout the podcast. So, um, so uh, there is that. Uh, and uh, third third housekeeping note here. Um, uh, today is also well. Today we are the day we are recording is also a special day 
in uh, Don't Starve uh, history here because it is Maxwell Carter's birthday, and Anna also won't make any secret of the fact that she is inf infatuated and in love with uh, with Maxwell here. So um, what makes Maxwell a special hunky kind of guy for you? You phrased that was so funny in some ways. But yeah, again, as you said, he's definitely very special to me. Um, I mean, in general, I feel like I've had... I mean, at the very least, when I was much younger, I definitely was kind of like the root for the villains kind of kid. Um, now I'm kind of, you know, kind of in the middle between, you know, liking heroes and liking villains. Uh, I still kind of gravitate more towards villains to a degree. Um, but, you know, all that aside, Max is just, what can I say about him? I think he's just overall a very fascinating character. Again, I won't go too much into Don't Starve lore and such, especially since I've had many exhaustive conversations with you about it. Um, probably during, I know most notably during our Everything Else segment, on our Octonauts episode, uh, which was during the first half of season one. Um, so go, go ahead and check that out if you haven't already and you're you know, more interested about, about the game and this character in particular. But yeah, I mean, just, I love Max. I think he's just overall very fascinating and his story, I think it, it, it tugs at my heartstrings a little bit. Um, just because of the fact that he just kind of got so blinded by by fame and ultimately corrupted by this magic that he had been practicing that he had completely forgotten about, you know, who and what actually mattered. And he didn't realize that basically and almost until it was too late. Um, so now he's kind of trying to pick up the pieces as this pseudo hero, but still definitely the least liked person uh, among the survivors for, uh, for good reason. <laughs> but at the same token though he's he's still a great character just utterly fascinating and he still definitely deserves a lot of love and comfort especially after you can clearly tell in a lot of his quotes in game that he is clearly very distraught about what he did at least a majority of it so yeah that being said anyway long to make a long story short happy birthday maxwell you are fantastic i love you to death yeah, definitely, um, definitely a unique character uh, within the uh, Don't Starve, um, Don't Starve universe, uh, so to speak, and um, definitely a tragic backstory as well, villain origin story, if you will. Maddie, if uh, if this, I I don't know if this is true or not, but generally Disney villains, they're they're a lot more, uh, I guess, they're a lot more approachable, and uh, I guess a little bit more likable, actually. Um, I think at the uh, Disney parks, is is that correct? Well, I mean, I mean, I do love Disney villains as well. I mean, I think we'll get into dive more into the Disney stuff as we get into talk about Tim Burton's The Nightmare Before Christmas. But long story short, I do think they're very lovable. It's just like they're just as lovable as the heroes. I mean, I think there's something about them. I think perhaps they're very. Um, I think it's mostly just their personalities and the fact that we don't usually see um, characters at least villains in general, that, I mean, I do love goofy villains, and I love sympathetic villains, don't get me wrong, but, you know, I think it sometimes is a lot more fun to see characters act who they are, and actually, um, I do love it how they're just simply, the Disney villains themselves, the majority of them are actually genuinely evil, especially. Does that make sense? 
does make sense. Uh, Gaston kind of really comes to mind for me, especially over at, uh, I think, especially at Walt Disney World. I mean, there's like YouTube videos where, um, I think where uh, Gaston loses, um, loses a, um, an arm wrestling match because of it, because of a trick done by a young girl. And also he, and another video where he wins a push-up challenge against another man. And, uh, yeah, he's just, he's just a really, um, he might, he might not have the, um, I don't think he might have the he might not have had the best of intentions for Bell, but in the parks, you know, he is just really he's a honk. Maybe not so in a good way, but he's kind of really also uh he's got a personality. We'll leave it at that. Yeah, I mean and this is actually so funny, but actually sometimes some villain characters are honestly genuinely hot, I had to admit. And also, um, I heard, did you know that actually um, the Sanderson sisters in Walt Disney World, at least in Walt Disney World, they actually um, actually had their own um, Halloween show called The Spelltacular? I have never heard about that, no. Yeah, it actually, it started in 2015, I think. So, so that was basically 22 years after, after the movie came out. And of course, there are other Disney villains in both Disneyland and Walt Disney World, especially during Halloween time. And even though, obviously, they're not villains, I know, obviously, Jack and Sally Skellington obviously um, appear in the Disney parks for a good reason, and perhaps the most obvious reason, in fact. Although, Jack also comes out in Halloween time as Sandy Claus, of course, and fittingly enough. And also... Did you know that in 2012, to celebrate um, Tim Burton's Frankie Weedy, did you know they actually put Sparky's tombstone in the Haunted Mansion graveyard during Haunted Mansion Holiday in Disneyland? I have not seen that. I've never. I've actually never been to Disneyland, so I wouldn't. I wouldn't have known. I did know yeah. though. I was the biggest Frankie Weedy nerd when I was like what, 11 or 12. So yeah, I, on my constant Google searches, just about you know what was the Disney parks planning on doing for the film's release um, just out of curiosity and just out of sheer love of the fandom. Um, I found out that Sparky's tombstone was at least a temporary uh, display at Haunted Mansion holiday. So that was, that was, that definitely, that definitely made my day be, that being said. So uh, yeah, I'm glad you mentioned that. Yes, and of course, I'm a huge fan of Frankie Winnie as well. So much so that I did told you, told you, Emma, about this, but I'll think about Adrian. But one of the ideas that I have for an animated project is actually making Tim Burton's Frankie Winnie into a television series. Of course, I know, obviously, I need to ask a lot of people to help me with this project. And of course, as as Diddy Channel and especially Tim Burton, since obviously it's not my property, it's their property. But other than that, I would. I actually have been doing a lot of developing for this, the characters in general, including some of the original ones, especially the villains. But like I said, like with many of my projects, including my original ones, such as Weirdos and The Witches of Salem, I think I definitely need a lot of people to help me with this project, as you can clearly tell. Tim Burton is done with Disney after uh, Tim Burton is done with Disney after Dumbo. He said he's done with Disney. He's not gonna be he's not gonna work them anymore. So I I think that might be a that might be a that might be a bit of a um, that might be a bit of a roadblock. Uh, that's what I'm trying to say here. But um, but it but uh, but I think a fan project uh, of a how of a uh, Frankenweenie TV series at least in the form of a web series. I think that might be possible. Yeah, especially maybe. Maybe like for Disney Channel, especially. Maybe who knows? 
Yeah, just what it just—it's just that Tim Burton would not be involved with the with that one. Yeah. All right. Uh, moving on here. File this in the category of weird here, but a Florida GameStop employee shot and killed a fleeing shoplifter who stole Pokemon cards. The Associated Press reports that Derek Guerrero, uh, 33, um, pulled a handgun from his waistband and fired one shot, hitting the man, hitting the uh, shoplifter in the side. Uh, as that particular shoplifter was uh, stealing um, uh, five boxes of Pokemon Scarlet and Violet Ultra Premium trading cards. And those cards retail for $120 per box. The suspect died in the hospital. Guerrero is now facing uh, a manslaughter charge. Um, and, uh, uh, and of course, uh, Guerrero um, had worked at GameStop uh, at the time of that incident. Now, of course, where I do live, where I live, uh, Florida, they do have a law called Stand Your Ground. It lets somebody use a deadly force if there's a threat of death or great bodily harm to themselves or others. Uh, however, uh, it, it does not apply to protecting one's own property. So um, there is that. Guerrero is being held to Broward County Jail on $25,000. Jail records do not show if he has an attorney, and GameStop had no comment uh, regarding that incident when they were approached for that one. So um, gotta catch them all, I suppose. Yeah, filed under weird. I think that um, <laughs> yikes. I think probably sum that up pretty well there. Yeah, yikes. I mean, I know I don't even. I'm not a big fan of video games per se. Like I'm not a gamer per se. No offense to you, Adrian and Emma, of course. But I definitely don't want to be in a situation like that. Trust me. Of course not. Um. Yeah, so that, that's that's that particular story. And uh, finally, uh, I touched upon this uh, particular topic um, at the start of our season. Of course, there has been war, has been some uh, some warfare going on in the country of Israel, and that's between the Israeli government and the uh, Hamas militant group. And um, seeing that um, a lot has developed um, since uh, since I first made light of it. Um, there's been a lot of social commentary on the attacks, uh, along the Gaza Strip, and all, and some considerable siding of sorts, either with the Israeli government or with the Hamas Mountain Group. It should not be controversial to side with the best of humanity, to side for what's best for humanity, and to make sure, you know many more innocent lives are protected and shielded from uh, whatever crossfire may, ha may happen uh, during this particular war, especially, especially within the Gaza Strip, especially, you know, with, uh, with the Jewish, uh, with Jewish Israelites, with uh, Palestinians, and also with, um, also with the, uh, um, with Muslims as well, because, um, Obviously, what I've seen on threads, what I've seen on Instagram, it is not that pretty. And there's also been images coming out of uh, of babies being beheaded by by the by the Hamas militant group, which uh, which obviously is uh, is horrible. But um, but it really should not be controversial to hope for the best of humanity. It should not be controversial to um, uh, to go for that. What is controversial is you kind of really kind of almost picking a side here and even trying to sympathize 
with either the Israeli government or the Hamas uh, militant group. And uh, it's just kind of really still a really sad situation all around. And uh, I'm just, again, we here at the Zachary Pija Show, we're hoping for a very peaceful resolution to this conflict. Um, there were, I think there were talks of a ceasefire at some point, but, um, but uh, that, that has, I don't think that has really been confirmed, but, um, but, but I don't want to spread, I don't want to spread too much information that I, that hasn't, that we have not verified, but again, some, um, just some thoughts on the war, which is obviously um, a very um, sadly um, surreal situation going on in the, in the Middle East. Yeah, and of course, I don't want to. I definitely don't want to get political because I know I know I'm not. I'm not interested in talking it. No offense to anyone, of course, ever listening to this, but one thing's for certain: it's just a horrifying and very tragic event, especially with the baby part. I mean, that is definitely traumatizing and downright nightmare fuel, especially for me. As someone who loves babies and children in general, especially since I've always wanted to have some of my own, of course. And and yeah, it's just genuinely sad. I mean, like I said, I don't want to be on the, on the political side, but one thing's for certain. I hope there will be a resolution for both sides, and I felt extremely bad for the people who are suffering those, the government actually going through all these wars together, just the citizens in general. Yeah. Emma? Yeah, again, I mean, I think just in general, I think ultimately we really need to consider the the human aspect of it, especially within, as we keep saying, the innocents who get stuck in this crossfire. And just ultimately, yeah, as you keep saying, it should not be political to mourn over innocent lives who were tragically ended by war and past genocide and just a history of war and conflict and and problems and unfortunate and, and unfortunately hatred and ultimately again I, I just continue to hope for a ceasefire and that we that no more innocent blood is spilled Oh, I so agree with you, Emma. Yeah, let's hope for uh, something. Uh, let's hope for a peaceful conclusion to that conflict, and um, and uh, we will. Uh, we hope to see to it. We do have a good show for you this week. Uh, Emma and I are here, along with Maddie, and we will be right back. Next on the Zachary and Peaches Show, we wrap up our three for Halloween with arguably the granddaddy of all Halloween animated films, The Nightmare Before Christmas. We take a look at its story and the legacy it has cemented over 30 years since its release. And later, another film celebrates its 30th anniversary this year. We talk about the cult classic, Hocus Pocus. Coming up after the break. The Zachary and Peaches Show, where we always feature animation, autism, and everything else. And on November 21st, it'll be your turn to contribute to the discussion. Metal. The fan request episode is coming. Submit your discussion ideas today to 
saccharyandpeaches at gmail.com. Then listen to The Zachary and Peaches Show on November 21st to hear your suggestions being discussed. Hey, Emma here. Stay tuned for this week's question. Spotify listeners can reply through this platform's Q&A feature on their mobile device to have their say. You can also reply on Adrian's profile at adrianmata26 on DeviantArt and Tumblr for this episode's recap entry on both platforms or through our show's Instagram and Threads accounts at Zachary and Peaches with your thoughts. We can't wait to hear what you have to say. Animation in the conversation. This is the Zachary and Peaches Show. Alongside Emma Settles and our special guest Madison Rousseau, we are back with the Zachary and Peaches Show, and we're celebrating 30 years of the Nightmare Before Christmas to wrap up our Three for Halloween series. The Nightmare Before Christmas, of course, uh, directed by Henry Selleck and envisioned by Tim Burton. Oh man, I'm so excited that we get to discuss this movie. I mean, I think Maddie. Me too. Probably, yeah, <laughs> I think Maddie is probably even more over the moon than even I am. But you know, as as you said, given the fact that this movie is now 30 years old, which is crazy, I I, I can't even believe that myself. But yeah, that being said, I feel like considering the fact that it is having such a major anniversary plus as we said in the in the you know the tease of this episode this movie is such a classic and it is such a, a staple of you know for halloween as you know a majority of burton films are but there's there, there's something about nightmare before christmas that just it, it screams halloween mainly because it, it takes place in a a personification, a, a whole town dedicated to Halloween. So, yeah, that being said, I feel like this was probably the absolute best way to wrap up our three for Halloween discussion. But yeah, I guess with that being said, Adrian, why don't you go ahead and introduce our topic of discussion for tonight? Popular chain Jack Skellington has grown tired and bored with the frightful festivities of Halloween Town and longs for something new. After stumbling upon a mysterious door in the woods, he lands in Christmas Town, where he becomes delighted by the spirit of the holiday season and longs to become the new and improved Sandy Claus. While Jack and his friends feel that they would do a good job of delivering Christmas cheer to the human world, their idea of the holiday spirit is rather macabre, to say the least. So, uh, with that being said here, um... I think at this point, usually at this point, we have a bit more of a structure here. But since, you know, Matt, since Maddie is here, I think we're going to go ahead and just kind of really go over the flow here. So, uh, Emma and Maddie, where do you want to start? I think first and foremost, I think we could start. I know we talked about the synopsis, but I think we could talk about a little bit 
a little bit about the credit discussion and eventually talk about the storyline and character discussions as well. What do you think, Emma? Sounds good to me. I mean, I guess in general, um, as Adrian suggested, or not suggested, but Adrian noted, rather, um, at the very beginning of this discussion, this movie was directed by Henry Selleck and envisioned by Burton as well as uh, produced by Burton. So that being said, I mean, I, 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 again, I 110% agree with the whole fact that this is undeniably a Burton film. Like the first thing, whenever you mention, you know, Tim Burton in front of pretty much anybody who, who knows him, the first thing that most likely will pop into their mind, uh, at least one of two things would either probably be Beetlejuice or Nightmare Before Christmas. Nine times out of ten, I can guarantee you that uh, Nightmare Before Christmas, at least, <laughs> uh, would probably be the first thing that people thought of when they hear his name. At the same token, though, I think it is very important to note that Henry Selleck is ultimately the director of this movie, and he deserves as much credit as Burton gets, if not even more, for ultimately being the director of this film, because Burton had other projects going on in tandem with Nightmare, which is why he wasn't ultimately the director of it. Of course, he definitely did oversee a lot of the pre-production um, side of the, of, the, of the film, especially with doing such a hefty job in pre-production himself, specifically with basically writing the whole story um, that this movie is based off of, which is an original poem that he wrote himself. Um, as well as, of course, doing initial designs and, and concepts for all of the characters. Um, Jack, Sally, everybody pretty much, Jack, of course, probably being the one that was, um, probably Jack and Zero were the ones who were edited the least. I think they pretty much stayed through to Burton's initial sketches and designs of the characters. Um, I mean, as did all of them, but at the same token, though, of course, as any animated movie, uh, process goes thing little things were edited and tweaked and and such along with character designs but again i'm i'm kind of getting into the weeds here as i as i famously say but yeah i mean in general i think just starting off though i i think in general it's it's important that people realize that selick is ultimately the person who directed this film and that you know yeah, absolutely, Burton deserves to have as much credit as he does get for Nightmare Before Christmas. At the same token, though, Henry Selleck himself has definitely um, set, ha- has definitely had a little bit of frustration that people don't recognize him as being the ultimate director of the film. So I feel like, in general, we should give absolutely give him all of the credit that he needs because he was the one who basically allowed for the film to be... Not not necessarily allowed it for being made, but helped it get made in the first place again because Burton was divided between a whole bunch of other different projects during the time. So, yeah, again, uh, as I keep saying, uh, props to everyone involved, specifically to Henry Selleck uh, and Burton, of course, too. Uh, but yeah, definitely, thank you, Henry Selleck, for taking on the the pro the the, the reins of the project while. Uh, uh, the lovely Mr. Burton was 
off uh, working on other projects. Yeah, I so agree with you, Emma. I think, to be honest, as much as I do consider it as a Tim Burton film, just like you said, obviously, I think I also do think that Henry Selick also deserves to get some credit as well. I mean, I know he did with the movie Coraline from Leica Studios, but even then, both Tim Burton and Henry Selick actually worked on this movie together with Tim Burton producing and creating the the story in general, especially since he's the author to the poem that this movie's based on, which I think, I think to be honest, kind of think of it, I think it's actually an adaptation, just like a lot of the other Disney movies. But at the same time, I think also, since Henry Selleck also directed the movie, I think he deserves some credit as well, along with Tim Burton as a whole. I think we could definitely say that perhaps that uh, Selleck kind of really served as uh, Burton's henchman, if you will, for, when it came to... Um, bringing this story to life there. Uh, don't you agree? Oh, absolutely. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think ultimately, in, in some ways, I feel like this was, I mean, this is, this. of course, I wasn't there on set, so I didn't completely know how the exchange happened and such, but basically, I, I imagine, you know, at one point there, Burton literally went up to Selleck, basically handed him the entire plans of the movie and said, you know, Go make a movie. I entrust you with basically my baby, <laughs> my my very uh, my my very weird, expensive. Uh, gonna take us five years to animate, baby. <laughs> but, basically, um, a weird um skeletal baby actually would be a better yeah, thing to say it specifically. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, basically, he again, Burton was just basically entrusted Selleck that he knew what he was doing and that he was going to ultimately, you know, make the best movie he possibly could. And yeah, that's, it, it happened. And, and, it def yeah. and it definitely paid off as well. And also, I think, I think I heard this kind of, it's, it's kind of reminiscent of um, basically with how he approached with the soundtrack for Danny Elfman, which I think we'll get into that later on eventually. Yeah, I think so too. I mean, of course, we also discussed about Danny's impeccable soundtrack in the Corpse Bride discussion. So, of course, why not discuss it in the Nightmare Before Christmas section as well? But um, that being said, I think that'll be a, an entirely different story for an entirely different segment. Uh, not segment, rather, but section of this discussion. So, I guess, you know, with following our outline here, um, I suppose our next point would be Matt and Maddie specifically would like to talk a little bit about storyline um, and character discussions yeah yeah primarily with you know with Jack and Sally both as individual characters as well as what makes them so compatible with each other romantically so yeah that being said Maddie why don't you uh give us a little crash course on our hero and heroine of the story uh, I'll let you take your pick on uh which of the two we focus on first well I mean I know I know we could talk about Jack Skellington first since he's probably the main protagonist but however I do want to talk about a little bit about Sally herself especially since I do want to talk about a little discussion about what I think what makes a very strong female character in general. You know, as we all know, Sally is Jack Skellington's love interest throughout the movie. But I think, and of course, obviously I do love Jack, Sally, and Zero, obviously. They're easily my favorite characters from that movie, of course. But 
The thing is, though, I think with Sally, I think I actually do want to talk a little bit about, like I said, about what makes a strong female character, at least. But I think what, what makes a strong female character, at least to me, well, I think it's actually because of how very, it's not because of that, how, it's not because of their masculine or anything. Actually, to be honest, you don't even have to be tomboyish or masculine or even tough in order to be a strong character. Like, a lot of the, the characters I love are very girly and sweet, and I think, but at the same time, they're also very strong characters. Even the damsel in distress are strong characters too, because of how very well written they are. I mean, let's take a lot of the Tim Burton characters, for example. Like, I know, I think you mentioned this before about, like, Vic, Victoria and Emily in the Course Pride episode, Emma. And I think this goes with Sally as well, along with a few other Tim Burton characters, such as Lydia Dietz and I think maybe Katrina Van Tassel or Kim, Kim Boggs or something like that. Well, to be honest, they actually... Well, but perhaps I do love Victor and Victoria and a lot of other characters from the Course Pride, obviously. Don't get me wrong. But I absolutely love Emily the most because... She and I have a lot in common, especially as someone who suffered a lot of trauma, experienced a lot of tragedy and suffered a lot of trauma ever since I was throughout my entire life. And But even then, that didn't stop me from being a sweet and loving individual. And that actually goes with Emily and even, to be honest, I think even Sally and Victoria and um, even some other characters too, not just with Tim Burton characters, but also, I think, um, even Dizzy characters, too, like the Dizzy princesses, Snow White, Cinderella, and Sleeping Beauty. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess bringing this conversation back to Sally specifically. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I guess from your perspective, and again, um, correct me if I'm wrong here, but at least according to you, a strong female character... Basically, all they need to be is well-written and have some point of a, a, a grounding or guiding principle to them, whether it be kindness or or whatever that, that principle is. They have to have some sort of strong moral backbone in some way or strong personality, um, which, strong personality trait, which therefore constantly gets that provokes them into making as many decisions as that they possibly can make throughout the the course of the story but again i think specifically in sally's case you know if you are you know applying this principle to her i think she could absolutely fit that model specifically because of the fact that a she doesn't let anything stop her from not only getting to jack but also getting to be sort of his voice of reason um, I, I think in general, Sally's character, I feel like she serves as kind of his, I wouldn't necessarily say his morality chain, but I think ultimately she kind of serves as basically his, his I, I got maybe a Jiminy Cricket sort of character, kind of being his conscience in some sort of way, or being sort of his, or at least being this realization of... Jack maybe kind of getting so lost in the hype of Christmas that he slowly but surely sort of forgets who he is and forgets ultimately, you know, that what he's doing might not be the best idea, despite other people kind of egging him on and encouraging him to basically kidnap Santa Claus and take Christmas for himself. 
Um, so, yeah, I mean, even I, I think Santa Claus himself says it best, you know. Uh, <laughs> yeah, before you get an opportunity, you know, before you get any ideas of taking over someone else's holiday, I'd listen to her, i.e. Sally. So, yeah, all throughout the, the film, Sally keeps sort of serving as Jack's reminder of, hey, maybe don't do this. This could be a disaster. Um, and, of course, unfortunately, Jack doesn't completely listen to her, but eventually does come to his senses and realizes that, yeah, she's definitely trying to help me, and she absolutely had the right idea. And, you know, of course, cue sweet makeup scene specifically with Jack having oh, to absolutely. help out Sally in the end. <laughs> oh, absolutely. And I so agree with you. And um and yeah, and the fact that she purposely did that in order to protect Jack is genuinely so sweet. I mean, she and Jack are absolute sweethearts. And and hopefully I didn't and speaking of which, hopefully I didn't miss anything about talking about Jack Skellington in general, hopefully. And especially them as a couple him and Sally as a couple as well. Oh, no, absolutely. I mean, I think just having you providing your feedback specifically on, on how you see their relationship, I think will definitely make this conversation even more fascinating. Because again, with my read of it, I mean, Jack very much being this kind of go-getter character and Sally kind of being more the voice of reason. So I think if there's anything else in particular that you'd like to elaborate on, specifically just how well they gel together, like absolutely be yeah. my guest. Specifically on, you know, also talking about Jack by himself too as yes. singular hero, even oh, without Sally yeah. to compliment him. Oh yeah, well Jack Skellington, I know as an individual character, I know he basically went through a lot of struggle and and basically I just found out and realized, I don't know if you ever heard about characters like the Grinched or Ebenezer Scrooge, those two characters are are the ones who actually genuinely hate Christmas. But unlike but unlike the Grinch and Ebenezer Scrooge, um actually Jack Skellington loves Christmas so much so that he decided to take matters into his own hands. But considering the fact that he's from Halloween Town, and especially as the Pumpkin King, well, obviously it this, this version of Christmas is obviously scary and dark, as you can clearly tell. And as for um, Jack and Sally's couple, I think they work really well. And I think, and like I said before, the fact that Sally did all of this in order to protect Jack is just genuinely so sweet. Both of them are absolute sweethearts, like I said before, and. Also, not to mention, I believe Sally did have a prediction about about Jack's version of Christmas being a disaster, as seen by one scene where she was picking flower, picking some paddles of a flower, and it turns into a Christmas tree, and then catches on fire, basically foreshadowing the events of the movie later on. And of course, she has to warn him about that. But even then, he he actually didn't didn't notice at the time until until it finally happened and i think actually near the end i think he finally realized not only to be himself but also um to realize how much how much sally loves him and how much she cares and loves about him as well and i think it works really well for them to be a couple because they really and to be honest they're actually a, a couple of outcasts who actually found a place that they belong, and some people that love and support each other for who they are. Does that make sense? 
Knowing you, Emma, you probably would uh, you probably would put scary and uh, creepy things in your Christmas decorations too. <laughs> can I can I be completely frank here and say that yes, I do. In fact, most of my Christmas tree is is Nightmare Before Christmas ornaments, and I have a sparkly black cat. I have a werewolf in a pumpkin. I have a bunch of other just regular wolves. Uh, yeah, it's it's literally just a mishmash of just traditional Christmas themes as well as, as Halloween stuff. So yeah, that being said, Adrian, you are absolutely correct about that assumption about me. <laughs> and I also... I'm very much a, a Jack Skellington in real life. <laughs> I'm also, speaking of which, I actually would love to do a, of a Halloween-themed Christmas tree, a gothic Christmas tree. I actually do... I actually have a mini Nightmare Before Christmas-themed mini Christmas tree that's black and has like I think the jack some orange ornaments and even some Jack Skellington skulls all over pretty fun and I'm I think <laughs> yeah and also um do we do we talk about like talk about like the storyline first or I know we did about a little bit about the character discussions and I think I do want to. I think Emma did mention this before about maybe we could talk talk a little bit about Zero as well. You know, since Zero is one of the representations of of dogs and especially dead dogs in Tim Burton's work. You know, like along with Sparky from Frankie Weenie and Scraps from The Corpse Bride. Yeah, I mean, I think ultimately, just in general, I think dogs are a very fascinating and prevalent theme slash sidekick character slash you know whatever you want to want to call them in Burton's work specifically his animated work I mean I know from a fact that Burton is very very dedicated to dogs and has this very deep and passionate sense of love and profound care for them and I mean, he's had. I mean, I believe he's had a num number of number of quotes actually just about his experience with with canines in general, and just the fact that you know how they are so compassionate and caring, and that they and that they truly are man's best friend. And that being said, I feel like that dynamic between. Jack and Zero, even though Zero is kind of the quote-unquote animal sidekick character that you see in, in you know, a lot, a lot of uh, animated movies, um, especially in a lot of Disney movies. But, you know, that being said, Zero's function, even though he's, he's you know, the, the cuteness factor or the, the quote-unquote kids appeal or whatever the case is, I think he definitely serves a little bit more than that. Specifically, be just because of the fact that it's it's basically this physical representation with the relationship between Jack and Zero of Burton's love for dogs, and specifically his dog he had growing up, which I believe was a Chihuahua mix named Pepe, who he was super, super close with and ultimately inspired him to... Uh, make Frankenweenie basically was his was basically as a story of his own childhood and connection with his own dog but you know again that being said I think just in general having Zero there as this additional character even though he doesn't 
completely serve as much of a story function as as definitely Sparky or even Scraps does, with Scraps being Victor's wedding present in Corpse Bride. At the same token, though, I feel like Zero is still absolutely an incredibly important character just because of the fact that it's still... It, it just gives you a little glimpse into the psyche of the man that ultimately wrote originally penned this story and the psyches of a lot of people really people love their dogs people love their dogs to death so that being said why wouldn't a uh why wouldn't a humanoid skeleton have a ghost dog of his very own as a best buddy yeah an adorable one at that to me all of them are adorable really and also i think another thing i do want to point out is also and you know children one of the most common ways that children's children experience death is actually through pets so it's actually another good reason i think i think that also works well especially with frankie Wee, which i think that's a great movie we could also talk about as well i also kind of want to bring up uh where well, we are getting a bit into weeds here but i kind of also bring up the uh, bluey episode called uh, copycat where um bluey, bluey kind of really you know copies her uh her dad bandit and uh I think in some morning activities, and then uh, and then later on during the episode, uh, you know, she and Bandit find a dead uh, a budgie, kind of really, you know, on its on its last legs anyway, and uh, and eventually, you know, the budgie dies, and Bluey decides to recreate the uh, the um, uh, the events of what led up to uh, what led up to that to that point, and and pretty, and in in a way. In a way, it just served as a as a way for her to mourn and grieve the loss of a loss of a life there. But uh, but I digress here. So uh, yeah. Wow, this episode literally has everything. <laughs> Virtually every Burton movie under the sun. Don't starve together, Bluey. <laughs> oh man. But yeah, again, I digress. I think Maddie is absolutely spot on. There is that you know. A majority of, I, 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 you know, a majority of children learn about death through death of their pets. So, yeah, I feel like in some way, Zero can be sort of that kind of reminder of mortality. But also, again, I think is also a very joyous sort of representation of that as well, specifically with you know Zero being such a happy character and you know living his afterlife in the best way being Jack's little buddy. So, I mean, if anything, you know, I I could absolutely imagine, you know, being a kid and then seeing Nightmare Before Christmas and after, you know, losing a pet and, you know, thinking about, oh, you know, my dog or my cat or, you know, whatever pet that I had, you know, being Jack's friend now. It, I guess it would be kind of a, a way to help, in some ways to help kids cope that, you know, their pets have moved on to the afterlife, but it's not something that should, you know, that it, it should absolutely be mourned. But at the same token, though, it, it should be something that, you know, serve as a reminder that they're absolutely in a better place now, whether that be, you know, whatever afterlife you choose to believe in or in Halloween Town. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Uh, yeah. So I guess from uh, from there, from there, I think we should probably move on to some of the collective motifs, themes, whatever you want to call it, specifically surrounding 
uh, Nightmare Before Christmas and just overall some of the what what messages or, or what you know what morals what messages what uh, what lessons can ultimately be taken away from this movie because obviously you know it is definitely a fantasy film and it it has a lot of you know just a lot of Christmas and Halloween imagery kind of constantly going back and forth and, and even butting heads at some point there you know at the at the same token though I feel like Obviously, there's there's definitely a lot of underlying, uh, a lot of underlying stuff to unpack specifically around surrounding like character transformation and growth. Um, specifically, I think with Jack. So yeah, that being said, anybody would like to uh, add on to or not add on, but elaborate on some of uh, what you think the prevalent themes are within this movie. Well, to me, I think first and foremost, I know obviously the biggest one that I think that comes to mind is definitely being yourself. Because after what Jack Skellington went through, especially after realizing that that actually his own version of Christmas end up end up being a disaster, especially with all the monster toys and other stuff actually basically attacking and making wreck, wreaking havoc basically in a lot of the households and just the families in general. I think he learned a very good lesson of just simply being yourself, especially as seen seen through um, the song "Poor Jack." Yeah, I mean, again, this movie is is absolutely a musical too, as is uh, as I mentioned in the Corpse Bride episode when I, I briefly touched base on this film as well. But yeah, I mean, if you really think about it, a lot of Jack's songs in general, I think songs themselves serve a very strong purpose throughout the film, besides, of course, just being very entertaining and enjoying and, you know, showing off Danny's, uh, Danny Elfman, uh, his, his just composition and lyrical genius. But at the same token, though, I think just in general, the songs especially Jack's songs show a, a real evolution in his mindset. And as you, I mean, I guess, you know, if, if you'd like to elaborate on that a little bit later, you can, but I, I guess, you know, bringing it back to the whole mention of poor Jack, I think that song, as you said, sort of serves as this really strong emotional turning point within Jack's personal evolution. Because I mean, Jack is a character, as, I, as we stated in the synopsis, his whole shtick is that even though he's the king of Halloween, he's, he's starting to feel bored and stifled and, quite frankly, even a little bit depressed. Life in Halloween Town. He, overall, he just feels like... He, he feels trapped. He feels whatever you want to call it. Like, like something... Like you mean like a raven, a, ra a raven in a cage, basically? Yeah, exactly. He feels like a raven in a cage. You absolutely... Yeah, you, you, you hit the nail on the head right there. I think he feels like a caged animal. And therefore, that ultimately gets him to discover Christmas Town and then, you know, letting Christmas sort of take over his whole personality... To the point of basically wanting to become Santa Claus, even though he's not, he's the Pumpkin King. And again, for Jack, sort of is his realization that 
oh no, I've done far more harm than I've done good. And even though that wasn't my intention, at the same token, though, I'm slowly but surely realizing that maybe this, maybe Sally ultimately was right, that this wasn't such a good idea after all. And I mean, even if you really think about it, I think Jack really goes through sort of the five stages of grief all in the course of that one, like, what, couple minute song? <laughs> He kind of goes from being, you know, sorry for himself to realizing that, oh, no, that, you know, not just feeling bad about himself, but also realizing that he's caused harm to other people and to being angry about the fact that, you know, all I all I ever wanted was to give them something great. Why does nothing ever turn out like it should? To quote the song specifically, you know ultimately just feeling upset that he couldn't provide the the humans of the human realm or the real world or whatever you want to call the it. Mortal with, world. The mortal world, yes. With a with a good Christmas. But then he realizes that, you know what, I did my best. I did I had fun along the way. And in a lot of ways, I'm starting to realize that, you know what? I tried being Santa Claus, but I can't be Santa Claus because I'm not Santa Claus. I'm the Pumpkin King. And that being said, I think Jack really embraces himself again and sort of falls in love with his own afterlife. Right at the end of that song, as he rips off his torn and tattered and ash-covered Sandy Claus suit, revealing that wonderful black-and-white pinstripe suit of his and his adorable little bat bow tie. Oh, and oh yeah, yes. I, I think it's just... It, it's such an utterly triumphant moment for Jack with him just realizing that, yeah, I think, ultimately, I was not... I was, I was not only doing other people a disservice, but... I was also doing myself a disservice, too. So, ultimately, I think this wasn't meant to be, and I should go back to being my uh, my old bony self, to, to specifically quote him. I think that with the, um, the, the cage, bird in a cage thing, it's kind of like, you know, basically, I think when you've been doing, <laughs> like, if it, when you've been doing the same thing over and over for many, many years, you do start to feel burnt out. like. Like it's the same routine all over again, and you're yearning to do something new, and I think that really happens naturally. In excuse me, I think it naturally it it happens naturally in a lot of people, and they really do want to try something new. Uh, some occasions it does pay off. Uh, other uh, so others, like uh, like in Jack's case, it doesn't. But uh, in Jack's case, though, it really does reinforce. I think what you said, I mean, it really does reinforce why. Um, why he is forever, why he, you know, he really, he fully embraces being the pumpkin king, being the king of Halloween, and, and just, and I think it's just that moment, I think that moment of realization during that, uh, particular piece there, um, as, uh, as he, uh, rips to shreds the, uh, Sandy Claus persona that he tried to, uh, try to convey, you know, in place of the real Santa Claus, that, um, that his connection that his that his connection, his enthusiasm, his um, 
uh, for for being the pumpkin king to be pretty much the ringleader of uh, of Halloween. I think it really, I think it grew much stronger. If not, if if anything, it just grew stronger. I think than than before. I, I think before the events of the film started to, uh, I guess you could say, unravel itself. Oh yeah, yeah absolutely. Jinx. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I, I think another point to bring up too is that even. I think another key theme of this movie also is forgiveness too, both of yourself specifically, as I as I mentioned with Jack's whole situation, but also, I mean, if you think about Santa Claus as a character in this movie, he had every right to be absolutely, utterly pissed at Jack. He had every right to be so angry with him and to basically have... You know, the one interaction that they speak face-to-face -face with be the end of their whatever relationship they they had. They didn't have any, really, but now Santa Claus especially doesn't want to interact with Jack after the fiasco he caused. But in the end, you see that San after Santa fixes the mess that Jack made, he ultimately gives Halloween Town a slice of Christmas for them to enjoy themselves. So that being said, I take that as Santa's sort of forgiveness to Jack for the inadvertent harm that he caused. Because I feel like that's that's the one thing that I feel like, you know, even though it was definitely off screen, that Santa definitely realized that, you know, all Jack meant was good things, despite the fact that he made an absolute mess at the same token, though, there was a genuine love of Christmas and a genuine love of people, really, in his heart that, you know, unfortunately didn't translate super well. So that being said, I think just with that level of forgiveness between these two characters and, and possibly the, this even this level of pseudo-friendship uh, between jack and quote-unquote sandy claws i think is is another really good point to make especially because of the fact that again even though jack definitely didn't intend to cause as much of a mess as he did he he absolutely caused a mess <laughs> I, I agree with that as well and also i just out of curiosity i'm not jinxed am i because i don't want to be jinxed no, you aren't. I promise you. I meant that as an absolute joke. <laughs> oh, okay, okay. You're clear. <laughs> Thank goodness. I think I don't have anything else to say about it. Well, anything I'll say with the both teams, at least with the the themes. Well, I think I pretty much we pretty much did that already. At least the majority, don't you think, Adrian? Yeah, we probably. I think we probably did that already. I think. Everything that we wanted to talk about, I think, in regards to the film, I think uh, we've already really talked about. So we can just move on to the uh, legacy and the impact and the personal reactions that we that we have uh, with this film here. Obviously, for me, I grew up watching this film. I think even before I became a fan of animation, I just uh, I think I remember watching it like in school and even on. Uh, I think it was I think it was on ABC at one time, and then also I also watched it on. Uh, uh, on Freeform, when it was ABC Family, and then when it became Freeform. 
and that was before you know uh, my family and I had to cut the uh, cord, cable cord, and uh, and switch over to streaming services and whatnot to uh, kind of fulfill our entertainment uh, needs. But um, but I just enjoyed watching the heck out of the film and uh, and just you know enjoying you know just the just the hijinks that uh, Jack and his henchmen or hench I or is it hench children? Maybe. Well, I don't those know. are Oogie's. I mean, Lock, Shock, and Barrel are actually Oogie Boogie's boys. They were actually Oogie Boogie's henchmen, apparently. And ah. actually, and also, I do want to point out unfortunately, the voice for Lock, um, Paul Rubens, unfortunately died this year. But, oh. yeah. but other than that, I mean, other than that, I know besides Paul Rubens, I know, I know Shock is obviously voiced by Sally the same. I mean, voiced by oops, sorry, sorry. I mean, voiced by Catherine O'Hara, who's vo- who also voiced Sally in the movie as well, along with Danny Elfman, who voices along with voices a lot of other characters in the movie as well, including Jack Skellington's singing voice, with Chris Redda doing his speaking voice. Yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, just a really amazing film, and obviously, with the kind of impact it's had, like thirty years later, there's been concerts, there's been. There's been like Halloween celebrations with Jack as kind of in kind of almost a starring role within the uh, within the Disney parks. Uh, there's also a overlay of sorts with um, I think around Christmas. I think around um, Christmas time over at the uh, I think at the uh, California Haunted Mansion in uh, I believe Disneyland. It's um, both. Yeah. It's actually both Halloween and Christmas, respectively. Oh. Of course. Uh, okay. Yeah. Yeah, with Haunted Mansion holiday. That's what I meant. Yeah. So it's just you know the enduring legacy of this movie. It just lives on through Disney. You know, embracing the film, much like Jack em- uh, embraced his role as the Pumpkin King. Disney embracing this film and just and just uh, celebrating it in many different ways, uh, be it through the concerts, through the. Uh, through uh, physical releases and re-releases, uh, theatrical re-releases. So just the one that, that, that's been going on this year as part of the film's 30th anniversary, as well as being part of Disney's 100th anniversary celebration uh, celebrations as well. So uh, there, so there's, uh, there's that. And um, yeah, I've got nothing else to say about it. Just a, just a great Halloween animated classic, uh, a perennial one, in fact, as well. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's funny. I think Nightmare Before Christmas, in a lot of ways, I mean, at the very least with with Disney, there was a bit of a pushback on it initially to the point where it didn't even completely get identified with the Disney brand, at least for a little while. It was kind of pushed to being a Touchstone uh, project, even though Touchstone is definitely a, a subsidiary of Disney. At the same token, though, it didn't officially bear the Disney label for at least a little while. Um, and I know definitely there were a lot of of uh, tooth and nail bickering between studio execs and Burton and Selleck, uh, you know, fighting for their film uh, to be made and to get, you know, proper whatever. And properly, you know, and, and that being said, I think in general... Even the audiences, at, at, at the very least, at first, it was definitely kind of a mixed bag. Of course, it, it did kind of well, but at the same token, though, it, it definitely didn't have the same level of success and, you know, and care. And, of course, Disney backing it up had a, a portion to do with that, too. Um, but, you know, as the years went on, 
people slowly and but surely started to realize just how utterly genius the film itself is to the point where it just the fandom has utterly exploded with so many people and it it, it truly has like the ultimate cult following i mean it's it's just absolutely a staple of pop culture now and i, I mean i don't even think Selick or Burton were, were truly aware, at least at one point there, of just how much of an impact that this movie would actually have on a whole slew, a whole generation of people. But it happened, and I'm so glad that it did. I'm finally happy that it got its due and that people can't stop singing the, uh, the praises of the Pumpkin King. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, oh. my, my personal... Uh, before I guess I move on to Maddie's personal reaction too, but you know my initial reaction to it, I was a bit of a scaredy cat kid, even with loving Halloween as much as I did. So I absolutely refused to watch the movie for the longest time because I was scared of the idea of it. However, as I got older, and my sister thankfully uh, pushed me to watch it, I, I slowly but surely just fell utterly under the spell of all of these characters and just fell totally in love with all of them and I'm so happy I did because it's just an utterly fantastic movie and I don't know where I would be period without it in my life I I don't know who I would be without Nightmare Before Christmas so just seeing it was such a formative point in my life and it, I really marked a turning point into, you know, not only officially, you know, becoming, you know, deeper and deeper into the Burton fandom and, to, and definitely into the Selick fandom too, but at the same token, just as a person in general, I think Nightmare Before Christmas just means the absolute world to me, and I'm, I'm just so thankful that I have it ultimately in my life. And again, Maddie, go ahead with, uh, with your personal reaction. My apologies for talking over you a little bit there. Well, it's okay. It's okay, Emma. And let me tell you, I actually, I know I've said this many times before, but Tim Burton's The Nightmare Before Christmas is my favorite movie of all time. It's not only just my favorite family-friendly Halloween movie, my favorite Tim Burton film, and of course Henry Selick film as well, my favorite Disney movie, my favorite Disney musical and musical film in general, but just my favorite movie of all time in just in general period. And I think I think perhaps, I mean, there's a lot of reasons why I love the movie so much. Obviously because of the storyline, characters, songs, and even the world building as well. But, and I know that movie has a very incredibly passionate fan base and became the definition of a cartoon cult classic. But to me, perhaps perhaps one of, if not the biggest things that why it's my favorite movie of all time is I think not only because it's very unique for Disney during that time, but also because it's Disney and it's hard. As a, as someone who loves Disney princess movies and fairy tales ever since I was just a little girl, obviously, I could clearly tell that Tim Burton's The Night for Christmas has so much heart, soul, and thought put into this film, and especially for being perhaps Disney's very first stop-motion animated feature-length film as well. And not to mention, even though that Disney um, has been very lovable for all ages, I think Tim Burton's Santa for Christmas actually, I think it actually is, 
I think that Disney's starting to realize that the fact that um that timbers are Christmas and a lot of I think they're starting to make some movies and shows that are made for an older audience and then more specifically for preteens and teenagers, especially same with Hocus Pocus. And I think and of course, like I said many times before, this movie has the same same kind of love, the same the same love, heart, soul and thought and just just like I said, the same love in general that Disney had for pretty much ever since the very beginning, considering that this year is not only the 30th anniversary of The Nightmare for Christmas, but also just the 100th anniversary of Disney in general. So with all that being said, I mean, the reason why it's my favorite movie of all time, it's not only because it's very, very unique for Disney at the time, but also it's Disney in its heart. When you really think about it, this, if you look past all the scary and gothic stuff that this movie has, this movie has a very huge heart of gold underneath its ribcage. The Nightmare Before Christmas is available to stream now on Disney Plus, and also available to buy or rent from other street, uh, from, from other video uh, on-demand services. When we come back, we're going to get on to something completely different. Two topics to uh, talk about. As we wrap up um, our wrap up Halloween season here on the Zachary Peaches Show, and we'll be right back. Coming up on the Zachary and Peaches Show, another Halloween film celebrates its 30th anniversary this year. We dive into the legacy of this holiday's cult classic, Hocus Pocus, and how it stood out within the Halloween film canon. Plus, a Food Network spooky seasonal staple is back. Emma talks about Halloween wars and why they crave watching the cooking competition. An all-Halloween affair, continuing next. Here now is this week's question. We talked about the themes and legacy of Tim Burton's The Nightmare Before Christmas as a part of this week's discussion. And now we want to hear from you what you thought about this Halloween classic. Spotify listeners, reply now to the Q&A feature on your mobile device. Otherwise, reply to this episode's recap entry on DeviantArt and Tumblr through Adrian's profile on both platforms at AdrianMata26 or to our show's Instagram and Threads accounts at Zachary and Peaches. The Zachary and Peaches show resumes in just a moment. Looking for a place to discuss about what's happening in the broadcast media industry? Then look no further than Broadcast Plaza. Broadcast Plaza is the number one Discord server dedicated to discussing about all forms of broadcasting, from television to radio and everything else in between, from the anchors and reporters to appearance and sound and other forms of media everyone enjoys. And the best part? Passionate individuals get to mingle with professionals within the industry on all mediums. Join us now at the link in this episode's description, or visit discord.gg forward slash Broadcast Plaza. Broadcast Plaza, this is the place. Adrian Mata, The Zach Green Pizza Show, and Zachlin serve as a proud partner of Broadcast Plaza. Join today.
animation, autism, and now everything else. The Zachary and Peaches Show continues. We are back with more of the Zachary and Peaches Show and another uh, 30th anniversary uh, has uh, kind of almost, well, I don't want to say has passed us by here, but uh, but um, we were going to be talking about Halloween Wars, and uh, we will get to that in just a moment here, but another episode, well, not another episode, another movie that's celebrating its 30th anniversary this year is the cult classic, uh, Hocus Pocus. And uh, seeing that uh, you, Miss Maddie, have uh, um, typed out a synopsis here for the film here, uh, why don't you go ahead and, uh, let, it, and, uh, and uh, let us know what that film is about? Okay. Well, Max Dennison, who just moved to Salem, Massachusetts with his little sister Danny, was very skeptical about the story of the Sanderson sisters, a coven of witches who steal souls from children for their youth. So, on Halloween night, while taking Danny out trick-or-treating, he decided to impress his crush Allison by breaking into the Sanderson sisters' cottage and lighting the black flame candle. But little did he know that he accidentally summoned the Sanderson sisters himself. And now it's up to them, along with a talking black cat named Thackeray, and a few monsters along the way to get the spell book and stop the Sanderson sisters once and for all. All right. So uh, with that synopsis out of the way here, um, so let's go through the storyline a little bit here. Because uh, obviously, and uh, we won't, I don't think we'll have much time to go through it anyhow. But, uh, but let's run through the basic storyline a bit here and, uh, and just get into, you know, just get into how it's how the story goes and uh, afterwards, you know, the legacy and the charm that uh, this film has had among uh, among its followers and fans. Oh, absolutely. And I'm actually um, bringing it up right now with the storyline. Well, at the very beginning of the movie, well, it's we actually get to know a little bit about Thackeray Binks and his sister, Emily who unfortunately was was the victim of the Stans and sisters themselves by they killed her by stealing um her youth and actually through a through a potion that they made that they forced her to drink and therefore well actually in the movie he, he Thackeray actually tries to actually get rid of the potion by dumping it but un- unfortunately it didn't end well especially for his sister Emily since they since the Sanderson sisters actually got still got the opportunity to steal her soul, and of course they found out that Thackeray would basically just broke into the cottage in order to save his sister Emily. He gets punished by turning by he gets punished by the Sanderson sisters by turning him into a black cat. And of course, since this is the this takes place at the very beginning of the movie, this takes place during the Sam witch trials. Um, the Saracen scissors were hanged, not burned at the stake, contrary to popular belief with some of the executions that people think of how witches were executed as itself. And of course, before they were before they even died, the Saracen sisters, more specifically, Winifred and along with his along with her sisters Mary and Sarah, they actually they actually put a curse that in three hundred years until a virgin lit the black thing if a when a virgin lights the black flame candle, they'll be they'll rise from the dead once again. So, and eventually, and eventually, that virgin in particular is his obviously Max, who, like I said before, at the very beginning of the synopsis, 
Well, he just moved into Salem, Massachusetts, and of course is very skeptical with Halloween, and especially with the with the Sanderson sisters themselves. So, during the time when he was trick, he actually takes his sister Danny out trick or treating. He actually did try to impress his crush by, like I said before, breaking into the Sanderson sisters' cottage, getting the spell book, and of course lighting the black flame candle, which of course. Actually, which causes him to accidentally summon the Sanderson sisters. And now, and much to Thackeray's, much to Thackeray's dismay, and actually, and generally upset because of that. And so, through a series of, well, actually, they eventually, um, meet, um, well, Winifred actually summoned her former lover, Billy Butcherson, who she, who actually killed, and who was actually the zombie, and, um, and and during when they actually went finally go to the town hall Halloween party where their parents are, they try to try to explain about the events what happened in the story, and of course they don't believe the um along with the other people at the party as well. But eventually, um the three actually did um especially near the end, they actually did find a way to actually um stop the Sarah's sisters once and for all and and actually they the Sanderson sisters died by turning into dust, and of course, since they're dead, and of course, Thackeray was actually, um, he was basically, basically made, they basically made him immortal until they died, so of course, Thackeray died as well, and of course, return, finally, and actually, the Saren, his soul is finally free, along with the, the souls of the, of the other children, along with his sister Emily, and of course, it has a whole happy ending, and they finally reach into the afterlife. At least, that's what I always think, especially as someone who watched this movie so many times. I think we probably should have put a spoiler warning there um, before we got into the storyline there. But, yeah, uh, sorry uh, about that. That's <laughs> all right. That's all right here. Um, uh, what, do you, what do you think about this film, Emma? Ironically, I actually have not seen Hocus Pocus the entire way through. Which oh, I my. Wow. kind of a sacrilegious thing for anyone who is a lover of Halloween but yeah, I, I eventually would like to remedy that. Um I don't I don't mind spoilers personally. Um especially if it's a movie that's been out for 30 years. Um but yeah, I mean I again I know the fact that it's just it, the the movie it, it also it, it has a, a as Adrian suggested, a, a very strong cult following and it is Literally, you can't walk into a spirit Halloween without seeing Hocus Pocus stuff all over the place. So that being said, it's, it's over the years, it's definitely gained even more traction to the point where they even have, you know, uh, the ability to interact with um, the Sanderson sisters and as well as um, common Disney mascot characters dressed up like the Sanderson sisters. Uh, at Disney World and Disneyland. So that being said, I feel like just this, yeah, I, I feel like in a similar case with Nightmare Before Christmas, this movie, it started out kind of small, and then as the years went by, it, it kind the fan base and people talking about it and people appreciating it kind of got bigger and bigger and bigger until it just kind of exploded and became this phenomenon that it actually is. So, but I mean, yeah, it just from 
hearing about what I know about the story already and then hearing you explain it, Maddie, I can absolutely see why this movie just instantly became, or rather became subtly, rather over the years, a Halloween classic. It's pretty much got all the trappings of a really fun, interesting Halloween story. Everything, you know, from witches and zombies to a, a, to a adorable talking black cat. Uh, the little bits that I have seen of Hocus Pocus, I did love. I did love, uh, love Zachary Banks. Wonderful, wonderful kitty. Um, <laughs> I did too. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, that being said, I'm very glad that this movie eventually did get its due as well. Um, and yeah, that it became as, as big of a, a Halloween staple as it did. Hopefully I will eventually have an opportunity to remedy the fact that I haven't seen Hocus Pocus. Hopefully it'll be this Halloween, but if not, then I watch Halloween movies the entire year round. I, I have no problem with watching it like later on in the year or Heck, maybe I could even do it for my birthday, which is in February. I don't know. <laughs> I'll, I'll at the very least make a plan to watch Hocus Pocus in full sometime in, in the future, whether it's Halloween or not. But again, yeah, congratulations to everyone involved with making that movie. I don't think you were fully aware of the extent of just how amazing uh, and how incredibly popular it will become. But again, I'm glad that... Uh, I'm glad that people were able to look aside some of its weirdness and its quote-unquote untraditional Disney sort of uh, uh, feel to it, and yet totally traditional Disney feel at the same token, uh, but rather unconventional ways of, of approaching it. And uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, just, I'm just glad that this movie just finally got some attention to. Again, even though I wouldn't call myself a fan because I haven't seen it all the way through at the very least... As a person who likes Halloween movies and who appreciates Halloween movies, I'm just very thankful that it that, that it finally got its day. Oh, absolutely. And also, and speaking of which, I actually did dress up as Sarah Sanderson for Halloween in 2020. And I I think you already mentioned this before about the Corpse Bread episode, but I'm actually glad that a lot of other family-friendly Halloween movies, whether it's live action or animated, are getting a lot, getting more and more popularity, along with the Night of Christmas, with Timbers at Christmas, especially because of nostalgic reasons as well, because of the movie and television anniversaries that are going on during the time as well. Yeah, if anything, again, I'm just I'm I'm happy that more people are are slowly but surely just coming to realize the pure genius that are these a lot of these movies. So, yeah, I'm just glad that uh I'm glad that Hocus Pocus got that opportunity too. Absolutely. Hocus Pocus is also available to stream right now on Disney Plus, and I believe it's also available uh through other uh, video on demand services as well to buy or rent. And uh, finally, our plan SED. Um, we were all we were going to get into Halloween warrants at least for a little bit here, because of course the uh, this uh, particular spooky seasonal staple that has been airing on the Food Network uh, for for a couple of seasons now, eleven seasons actually. I think like ten years, a little over ten years now. Yeah. Um, so basically, it's been so basically it is a Halloween theme making competition, uh, kind of like Cupcake Wars and uh, and some of the other stuff that's been you know been produced for the food network here so emma run run down let's run down what's been going on so far at least for this season for uh halloween wars yeah i mean i guess 
just in general mini crash course here, but Halloween Wars, as you said, is is basically just a Halloween themed baking championship. Uh, that's actually a different show. Uh, <laughs> wow, I almost fell asleep. I, 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 you can tell I'm tired here by I, I mentioned a whole other show. Uh, on accident. Welcome to the Grumpy Grandpa Peaches Comedy Hour. Yes. Ten twenty four at night. Woo. Anyway, let me just restart that. Please cut this out. <laughs> okay. I am not cutting that out ever. I this is it's staying in. It's staying in. Sure. Okay. But anyway. Uh, Halloween Wars is basically a Halloween baking competition where you these ba- where teams of bakers, usually about teams of three, um, at least for this season and the past seasons prior, um, they usually work with three different mediums, uh, sugar, cake, and pumpkin, in order to create almost just about fully edible Halloween display pieces. And usually those display pieces follow a specific theme. Um, Last week's episode, I I can't speak to this week's episode because it hasn't aired uh, yet. At least when we were recording this, it hadn't aired yet. It'll it'll be available to to watch and stream, I believe, uh, on Monday, which is yesterday when this episode comes out. Um, But tomorrow, when this episode was recorded... uh, (laughs) Um, uh, but yeah, that being said, it's, it's just a fun competition show and I've been watching it ever since I was like maybe what, 11 or 12 years old. So, you know, that being said, it's, it's been on for, for a pretty good time. And ultimately, you know, this, as I was saying before, I kind of went on a little bit of a tangent there. This past, uh, week's challenge was, uh, Basically, uh, zombies having a dance party, and basically it's just whatever, um, whatever um, people can imagine, and you know, building a display based on that using all three of the elements. Uh, in addition to that, at least in this season and in other seasons past, minus the past, minus the twenty twenty. One and twenty-two season, which I'll briefly get into that because that was a re- those were two really interesting and special seasons uh, for a very interesting reason. But uh, they are required; the bakers are required to make a tasting element, which is usually hidden somewhere in the, the display, or at least it is able to to fit in. It doesn't kind of stick out like a sore thumb. Uh, it fits in with the display, and it uses uh, usually a special kind of ingredient or flavor either assigned by the judges prior or sometimes it can be just picked up at random like last week's uh last week's challenge was basically like you know make an edible brain out of whatever you can find basically whatever you can whatever you can make an edible brain out of so it was it was very open-ended that specific challenge um but yeah i'm i believe we have I don't know if it's two more episodes or one more episode. I think it's probably I think it's probably two because if I remember correctly, they mentioned the semifinals as opposed to the the outright finale. Um, so I believe we get an episode on the thirtieth as well, which is very exciting. Um, but yeah, that being said, it's just it's it's an incredibly fun watch, and if you're into just 
and cooking competitions and you love Halloween, I recommend that show. And I also recommend uh, Halloween Baking Championship as I goofed up uh, mentioning that as opposed to the show. Excuse me. Mm. Yeah, <laughs> as, as Adrian said, Grumpy Grandpa Peach's Comedy Hour. I'm, I'm, I'm very tired right now. <laughs> but, um, yeah, a- anyway, uh, again, I highly recommend the show if you just also want to see some really cool Halloween-related artwork. Because it's literally the, the cakes and the pumpkin carving and just everything that they do on the show is just utterly spectacular and a whole lot of fun. So, yeah, I highly, highly recommend uh, giving that a watch if you're able to. Plus, if you are a Ghost Adventures fan, like my whole family is, myself included, uh, last past two seasons, uh, Zach Bagans, who is the host of that specific show and, like, one of the most amazing paranormal investigators on the planet, um actually hosted for a brief period of time and gave the bakers different uh, challenge ideas based on his paranormal travels. So that those two past seasons were incredibly fun. Now it's just kind of back to their, you know, regularly scheduled uh, challenge. But even still, it's been a lot of fun. And I just can't wait to see who... Uh, officially wins that challenge i can't specifically say i have one team that i'm specifically rooting for uh this year i can specifically say i do have a baker that i'm rooting for on halloween baking championship go holly uh (laughs) you're amazing but you know all, all that aside just check out what the food network does for halloween a lot of it's a whole lot of fun and it's also streaming too so you can go check that out as well it is streaming right now on Max and also on Discovery Plus. Uh, Matt is, uh, Maddie, um, uh, you uh, before we uh, started uh, recording uh, the podcast uh, uh, this evening, uh, you told me you were also into baking and uh, cooking here. So combining that with Halloween, how do you feel about this uh, this particular uh, championship TV series? To be honest, even though I've never seen it, obviously, I will say it's definitely very interesting. I mean. I have seen a lot of Halloween-themed cakes, cupcakes, and other desserts before, so I guess I actually wouldn't be surprised if they actually made, like, a cooking show, or let alone a cooking competition based on it, actually. Yeah, and it's kind of really, kind of really cool, um, cool series to get into, at least around this time of year, anyway, or in, or I guess in the case of, uh, you know, with streaming services, I guess you could, you know, tune in anytime, anytime you like here, I think especially in Emma's case, you know, you know, she does. You do Halloween like 365. You might as well just go ahead and stream it like on a on a February, I guess, for your birthday. Then, <laughs> so um, and I, yeah, and every day's how and every day's Halloween yeah. and every day's Halloween when I'm around as well. Exactly. Just, Believe me, I'm probably gonna be uh, treating myself to watching the uh, or rewatching rather the two uh, seasons that Zach hosted. Uh, as a treat again, because he was he he he's just a, he's a great human being as it is, but he was a hilarious host of Halloween Wars just because of how uh, uh, how dark and serious sometimes he could get, just judging by you know just his, his nature, but also it's just so goofy at the same token. He's 
that season was a whole lot of fun because of the fact that it, it just, it combined two of my favorite things, Halloween Wars and Ghost Adventures, so what was there not to love? <laughs> oh, yeah, absolutely. All right, so uh, on that note there, uh, that is it for the Zachary and Peaches show. We're going to be off next week because... Uh, because I understand, uh, Emma, you're going to be um, you're going to be celebrating Halloween here, and probably you might be out of town here. So um, every so, possibility. Uh, um, I, I think it, it's going to look like we'll be staying here, but at the very least, I will be having friends over. And that being said, we're going to have a a a pretty nice little Halloween celebration where we are. So yeah, it, that's spanning multiple days. <laughs> So, yeah, that being said, uh, we will be taking a little break next week so I can uh, I can uh, I can celebrate Halloween in style. But I guess, you know, until then, for all of you who celebrate, have a very safe and very happy Halloween. I sincerely hope you enjoy talking about or listening to us talk about rather a bunch of really cool Halloween movies and TV shows with us. And I genuinely can't wait to do it again. Right. Oh, and, absolutely. Uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Maddie, thank you so much for uh, being with us this week. And uh, we can't wait to have you on the podcast again sometime down the road. Well, absolutely. And thank you for inviting me. And, of course, and of course, I know I'm, I'm available. You can talk to me anytime you want on DeviantArt and on Instagram. And, of course, I would love to talk to you again for another episode as well. And, of course, to all my dear fiends out there, Happy Halloween to all of you. All right. And happy Love Halloween to everyone. Yes. Love you. Goodbye. All right. <laughs> all right. Bye, for buddy. Madison. Yeah. All right. For Madison Rousseau, I'm Adrian Mata. I'm Emma Settles. We'll and see I'm you. Madison Rousseau. Oh, right. <laughs> well, okay. Well, we got your name in twice here. But uh, okay. <laughs> uh, we'll, uh, as we said, we'll be off next week. We'll be back on November... Um, We'll be back on November the 7th, I believe. Um, is that correct? Uh, let me just pull up my calendar here. I, I was right, November 7th. Yes. Okay, great. Yes. <laughs> yeah. All right. We'll be back November 7th here for another episode of the Zachary and Peter Show, folks. Until then, happy Halloween. We'll see you next time. Bye. This is Jared Harris speaking for the Zachary and Peaches show. Produced, edited, and co-hosted by Adrian Mata and co-hosted with Emma Settles. The Zachary and Peaches show is a Sackland original podcast.